What is the first question you ask when you meet someone? Usually, when you meet someone, you first thing you say is, what's your name? And then you find out their name. And then, what's the second question you ask in our culture? Uh, I, would, I would argue that maybe the, the most popular second question we would ever ask people in our culture is, what do you do? Or, where do you work? And it's really, really important to us. And if you think about it, that's actually maybe historically a weird question to ask as the second thing we would ask someone. Because... In, in some cultures of the world even today, and in cultures throughout history, um, what you do for a living really isn't all that important, or it's not that big of a thing. Mostly what we would ask in maybe other cultures or other times, our question, we would say things like, well, who's your family? Like, what, what name, family, tribe, kind of clan did you come from? Um, who are your people? Who's your mother and your father? Like, those would be important questions historically. Or, or where's your land? Where are your people from? You know, those are the kind of questions. But um, in our culture, we value those things a lot less, I think. And so we, we go right to work. Uh, where do you work? And, and me knowing where you work makes for some follow-up questions, and I can ask some things, and maybe I can draw some conclusions about you. If you say, um, you know, I'm a doctor, I say, oh, then you must have this kind of education. I'd be like, what kind of medicine do you do? And then you tell me about that, and we can talk about that for a while, and I can sort of imagine what your life is like, and that's good. If you're, if you're a social worker, I've been involved with social work through foster care and adoption stuff, and um, a lot of respect for the people that I've, that I've met there. And if you said, hey, I'm a social worker, I'd be like, oh, in, in what, what aspect of social work are you doing? And, 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 and it tells me something about uh, some things that you really care about, and there's some passion areas that come through there that are, that are interesting, and, and, I, and, I, and I have some understanding of, like, your workload and what that can be like. And so that, that's pretty good stuff. Um, but it's not always, it's not always great um, to, to define ourselves by, by what we do. Uh, it can be problematic at times. We, because if you say, like, hey, I'm a lawyer, you know, maybe I think, oh, you're probably argumentative. And then you're like, no, I'm not. And then, you know, whatever. And, or or if, you, if you say, like, oh, I'm a pastor. And then you're like, well, maybe you're judgmental. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You're, you are a sinner, though. Uh, you know, or whatever. whatever. Like, we, we have these things, right, where, where we, we quickly define someone by their, their job. And, and really, that's just weird. Um, it, we don't do what cultures have done. I don't say I'm a barrister. My last name is Barris. I'm I'm a Barris, and we all know what that means. No, we don't. No one even knows where that came from or whatever. We don't do that. We don't say, I'm a native Richmonder. I'm from Mechanicsville. I'm a Goochlander. You know, like, we don't, we don't wear those things prominently. What we wear uh, prominently in our culture is, this is where I work, and we define ourselves. We get some sense of our identity from our jobs, and that makes sense on, on some level because we work a lot. If you work for 40 years at 40 hours a week, that's about 80,000 hours that you're going to spend at work. That's a lot. That's a big chunk of your life you will spend at work. So uh, it, it does matter, but it's not everything. And too often we make it well, everything. Um, in this series, we, we started a few weeks ago uh, a series called Ancient Answers to Modern Problems. We are looking at what are modern issues we deal with in our culture, uh, in, in, our, in our week what are the stuff, what's the stuff that comes up, and what are the ancient answers to those problems? Because whatever the presenting problem is on the surface, underneath that, there's just some stuff that has been going on for millennia. It's not, you know, we think, oh, our problems are so new, our, our technology addiction, which we'll talk about in two weeks, oh, this is so new. But no, underneath that is the same kind of stuff that people have been talking about for thousands and thousands of years. 
And we're going to look back at some of that ancient stuff and say, how does that speak into the problems that we face today? And I think that's such a good thing. I, did you all love singing Fanny Crosby hymn just a minute ago? I love that. It reminds me of my childhood, for one, uh, of singing songs like that. It reminds me of college when we studied hymns and stuff like that. But um, it, I also just like, and, and, and Tommy's good about picking out tunes that, that often have a, a historical root to them. Uh, I, I like the idea that I'm not the first person who's walked down this Christian road before. Um, our, our faith, yes, this is a modern church, and we're going to speak to the culture and speak to the contemporary world that we live in, but our, we're not the first ones to be here, right? We're, we're rooted in something that's greater than us, that's gone on with millions and millions of people before us, and, and, we need, and there's a lot of value there, and so we need to look at that and, and look for some of the solutions um, and not just you know, come up with answers of whatever the latest HuffPo article is about how we're supposed to fix the thing. Um, we need to go deeper than that. So in this series, we want to look at a modern problem and go into some deep, uh, ancient, historical, scriptural roots to that. So today I want to talk about work, your job, because you're going to spend a lot of time at that work. As I see it, there are two modern problems with work in the way we view it. One is drudgery and the other is idolatry. So drudgery... I think we all understand. We've had those moments. Drudgery is on a Sunday night when you're about to go into work on Monday morning and you're sitting there going, ugh, i got to go in there tomorrow with those people and do that thing. And I know they're going to send me this thing and they're going to have this job and this spreadsheet and this thing. Like that's, that's when work can be drudgery. I think we're familiar with that because you take a job. Sometimes you take a job because you got to eat because you need the money, because you want a roof over your head, and you work, uh, and it's not maybe your sweet spot or not anything that inspires you. Or, and, and so work can totally be drudgery. And I think the Scripture can speak to that on some level. But on the, on the opposite end of that spectrum, work may not be drudgery. Um, in fact, work satisfaction in, in America, as, as opposed to a lot of the world, is really quite high. And so we often run the risk, not of our jobs being drudgery, but of idolatry, where work becomes everything to us, and it matters so, so much. It becomes our sort of be-all, end-all, where we take work, which is a good thing, and we make it an ultimate thing. It matters more than almost anything else. I think a lot of us have a tendency towards that, and it's something we need to be aware of. I found this, uh, a couple ideas how you can test if work is idolatry to you. And I'm going to go through these quickly. They may need some time to marinate. You might want to think about these for a while. But number one, work can be idolatry if it's your primary source of satisfaction. Should you find some satisfaction in your work? Absolutely. But is it everything? Is it the thing you daydream and nightdream and, and all dream about? Is it, is it, is it the, the be-all, end-all for you? Man, I just can't wait for this promotion to do these, like, my career success and that kind of stuff. If, if that's everything, there's a good possibility there that work has gotten a little disordered in your life and it's, and it's become something it wasn't meant to be. Number two, uh, you want to do your best at work so you can make a name for yourself. Okay, first of all, you want to do your best at work. That's a good thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's fine. But motives matter. And if you want to do the best at work so that you can make a name for yourself, that's where it's very possible that our work is becoming idolatrous in our hearts. It's, it becomes this vehicle for our own promotion, for our own awesomeness, for our own ego, that kind of thing. It can really uh, fuel an unhealthy sense of pride in us. And then the third one, and this is tricky, you make your work all about making a difference in the world. If you make your work all about making a difference in the world, that has some problems with it. Now, if you have a job where you feel like you're making a difference in the world, that's great. That's not, that's not the issue. 
The issue is when you put that on it and, and your success has to ride on, are you making the difference? Am I making the change? Because ultimately that comes back to you and about how much difference you make and, and it, it becomes all about you. And there's a danger there that if you are making a difference in the world, you're going to feel uh, an unhealthy sense of like, hey, aren't I awesome? Look at the difference I made. Or, because you're, make, you're trying to make a dent in the world, and that's a huge thing, if that's not going so well, it could be devastating to you because you've got so much tied up in, into it. And listen, I work as a pastor, right? So my job is to tell people about Jesus. I can easily, easily make an idol out of my job and say that this is everything to me. My relationship with God is where my primary satisfaction should be and in getting that right and in the relationships I have with others, with you guys and with, with, my, with my family. That's, that's where I need to keep it, but I can easily take a job, which is a good thing, and make it an ultimate thing and make an idol out of it. So for you, is work drudgery? Some days, right? Is work idolatry? Maybe. And I guess the next question is, what can we do about it? I think we can take a healthier view of work. And to, to get a healthier view, to get a more ancient view of work, we're going to need to do a shift in our minds of moving work from um, uh, vocational narcissism, where our job is all about us, to vocational generosity, where our job is about pouring out, serving God, and serving others through our work. Um, that's, a, that's probably a radical thought to you today. What if, here's the idea. What if your job isn't primarily about you. Now, our culture doesn't reinforce that. Our culture says you have to have your goals, your career success, your career path, your development, your LinkedIn, your, you know, your resume, build all those things, and we make our jobs about us. And it's okay to have a resume, and it's okay to have goals, and, I, and I'm a fan of people development, but let's not, let's not miss something there. What if your job isn't actually primarily about you, but it's about serving God and serving other people through your work? How would that change things? The New Testament gives us a perspective on, on work, and, and what you see in Scripture mostly is that you don't see a lot of emphasis on what do you do, what job do you have. What you see the emphasis on is how do you do what you do? What is the attitude or spirit that you carry into the work that you do? That's, that's the key thing in, in Scripture. And I want, to, I want us to look at uh, Paul's letter. He wrote to um, the church in Colossians, in the state of Colossae, and he writes a letter, um, and, and, and throughout this letter, he starts going into some family relationships. We'll look at this in a second in, in Colossians chapter 3. And uh, what I want you to see as we, as we read through this is, is how God, the relationship with God, is so front and center in this letter uh, and, and in these relationships. Look at uh, Colossians 3. We'll start with verse 18, and we'll get into some work stuff here in a minute because this isn't going to sound like it's about work at first. All right, verse 18, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Okay, talking about family relationship stuff, some quick hitters around family relationships. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands. Why? As is fitting in the Lord. Are you submitting to your husband because they're so awesome? No, certainly not always. Um, That is not the case. You are submitting to them uh, because there's a, a God connection part of that, that that part of your service, the way you serve God, is, is laying down some of your preferences inside your marriage. Husbands, you're loving your wives and not being harsh with them. That's what you're called to do. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because they're your parents and you should just listen 
listen to those people because they have your best interests in heart. No, he says, obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. All, all, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. All throughout this thing, um, Paul keeps saying, look, the horizontal relationship that you have with people is connected to the vertical relationship that you have with God. How you love others really has, uh, says something about how you love God. It's one of the things I love about Christianity. It is not a religion where you just do religious things and check off the box. I go to church, I give, I, 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 I volunteer, I, uh, I, I pray, I read, whatever. Those are all good things. But it's not just that. Our faith touches everything. How you treat your wife, how you treat your husband, how you treat your children. It, God, our relationship with God is connected into all of those things, and we show our love for God in the way we handle all of those relationships. This also carries over into work. Look at verse 22, what he says. Um, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Um, okay, it says slaves, and I've said this from the stage before, but some of you didn't hear it, so I want to make sure we, we get this. When you read slaves, especially in the New Testament, uh, we need to think differently than American view of slavery, which is race-based colonial American slavery. That's when we say slave, especially in this town, right? That's you go, slavery, oh, it's that, right? This is not that. Slavery in that day in the Roman Empire is more like debt and being in debt. If you didn't have credit cards where you could rack up a debt or whatever and pay it off later or whatever, what you did was if you go into debt with someone, you become an indentured servant or a bond servant or a slave to them, um, and you work off your debt with them. So people voluntarily entered this situation in order to work off a debt. Sometimes people became slaves not just because of debt. They became slaves because they wanted to be a slave. Now, that sounds weird, except when you realize if you're a slave for a rich person, you're going to eat well, you might get an education for free. I mean, there's some benefits even to becoming a slave of a wealthy person. So, so when we read this, we, we want Paul to say, slaves, like, get out of there. Like, stop it. Or, or masters, quit it. Let's set, set these people free. It's, it's, not, it's not that kind of situation. Paul tells these people who are, uh, are, are slaves to, to these masters, hey, work hard at what you do. And it's interesting, he, he says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers. In other words, don't just do your job to make the boss happy. Don't just do your job so that you look good on a performance review. He, he goes underneath that and says, uh, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Whatever you do, that means if you're a policeman or a nurse or a counselor or a fireman or a doctor or you medical sales or a barista or you work at that restaurant, uh, whatever it is you're doing, you have to have the mindset of, I work for God, not just for my employer. And because I work for God, I want to do this well. Because, I, because even in my work, I'm honoring and serving Him. That's, that's the mindset that we need to get into. You see this... Uh, Throughout the Bible, Paul, in his letter in Ephesus, he writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, which is in western Turkey, just, on, just south of Istanbul. He writes this letter, and uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about anger, he's talking about some other relationship stuff, uh, and listen to what he says. Apparently, some people had been stealing. 
And listen to what he says. This is the kind of verse you will just blow over if you're reading it by yourself and not really dig in. But look at what he says. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul says to the thief, stop stealing and get to work. Now, if you're going to write an American version of that in our culture, you would be like, stop stealing, get to work, because you shouldn't be lazy, because you need to get your 401k, because you need to not be a burden on society, not be a drag on the system, and not rely on the government to whatever. So we, we, would, we would maybe finish that sentence that way. Stop stealing, get to work, so that you take care of your business and just take care of stuff. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says, do honest work, like get after it. Stop. Instead of stealing, I want you to work hard. Why? So that you can share with others. Your job is not about you. Your job is about serving God and serving others. You are moving from vocational narcissism to vocational generosity. There's deep roots of that in Scripture. When you, when you um, if you, even if you go back way before Paul's letters there. You can go back to the beginning of the Bible. If you open up the Bible and you start reading, you know, you're, okay, I'm going to read Genesis 1. It starts with, in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so God's first thing he ever did in history, as recorded here, is to work. God goes to work. It says he works for six days creating, creating the heavens and the earth. And then on the seventh day, he rests. There's this cycle, work hard and then rest. That's, that's the pattern that you see in Scripture. And it wasn't just God doing that. When God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what does he tell them to do? The first thing he tells them to do is to basically have sex and make babies and like be fruitful and multiply. We'll talk about that next week. Um, the second thing he tells them to do is work in the land, like do stuff. Take care of the land, take care of the animals, take care of this garden that I've given you. So in paradise, before the fall, before sin has entered the world, before everything's a mess, in paradise, in God's ideal situation, we have jobs to do. We're supposed to work. Work is not just a result of everything's messed up and now we have to go to work. It's actually part of what it means to be human, uh, of how God created us. And if you look at the end of the Bible, you see, that, uh, you see a city, this idea of paradise, heaven. We talked about this last month. There's a city there. Well, if, if, if humanity starts in a garden and it ends in a city, then somewhere in between, people got to work, right? Someone developed architects, designed, they made the thing, people are doing the sanitation on the streets and whatever, and, and, and I think there's this idea that in heaven, we're going to work, we're going to have things to do, that, that'll, be, that'll be good, and we will be uh, building things and, and, and making, new, making some new things in the world. And so, the idea of work is not... Um, an accident, it's not an oops of creation, it's actually part of who God calls us to be. Uh, the overall idea is this, our, our work is a part of God's plan. Our work is a part of how he orders the world in love. You see, from the fall in Genesis 3, you start seeing that work becomes toil, it becomes hard, and, and drudgery starts to come in. Um, and you see a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of broken systems in the world and broken people, and we do some pretty dark things to ourselves and to one another. And part of work, part of why we, why we do work is to undo that brokenness, is to start reordering the world in, in love. Um, that's actually what, what God calls us to, to do. 
your job is to be done for God and others. And when you do that job, you are participating in the redemption of the world. So practically, all right, let me just finish with these two ideas. Practically, what does this actually look right look like? Number one, um, I think, uh, and I was thinking about this of like, okay, I'm going to take one shot here in this series to talk about work. What do I want people to walk away with? Um, how, what are you going to take into your job tomorrow? First one is this. Um, get your mindset right about why you work and, and what's really going on. What's really going on there? Think, think about your job. Maybe you go to work later today. Maybe you're going to go into work tomorrow, whatever. Think about, think about that, that job that you do. Uh, think about the people that are there. Think about the conversations that you might have this week, the, the emails that you're going to answer and all that. Uh, some of your, like, your stress level is now going up as I say that. You're like, oh, that email, i got to get that. You know, there's like 300 in my inbox or whatever. Okay, so think about your job. Now think about what would it look like to view that thing and to, to treat that thing as if I'm actually doing it for God and for others. What would it look like to go into that job with a servant's heart and attitude? Oh, man, I'm here to serve other people. I'm here to work with God, for God, and other people reordering the world and making this a better place. If you're going to give yourself away in work, if you're going to give the 80,000 plus hours to work, then you're going to need to have an identity that is grounded not in our work, but in the one who has called us to it. So that if you're a teacher and you're going to go in and teach young minds, think about how when you do that, you are ordering the world in, with God's love. You are, are helping shape you are helping overcome the effects of the brokenness, uh, and you are helping uh, minds grow and learn and develop so that, you know, they can know God, and, and I mean, there's, you're doing God's work there. If you're a counselor, you're, you're, you're talking to people, uh, and you're talking to, in, speaking into situations where people are broken, and they're hurting. Um, it's not like a broken arm, but there's something like going on in, inside there mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and you are doing God's work there because you are helping reorder that. You're helping to fix that. You're helping to, to, to really roll up your sleeves and get into that so that people can be healthy and whole. If you're a nurse, a doctor, a first responder, and in the medical field, literally you see the brokenness. You see people in the ER and, and whatever. You see the way the body breaks down, and you are helping undo the effects of that brokenness, the fall in humanity. You are working with God for God. God to serve other people. Now, I know for some of you, it's hard to imagine your job as being a God thing. Um, I, you know, I, I just picked some, some examples there. They go, oh, that's easy. But, I, you know, I just sell a thing. That's all I do. Like, I sell this thing, and our company makes money and whatever, and, and that doesn't feel like I'm working with God. And, but I think it can still, it can still um, I, I think we can still wrap our minds around that and see how our job honors God. Unless you're like drug running or something, in which case that's not honoring God. Just quit it. Uh, pharmaceutical sales is okay though. All right. So, but, but um, think about how we, how we frame the thing. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon, thousand years before Paul writes his letters, King Solomon in Israel writes uh, Ecclesiastes. We went through it as a church a couple years ago and it's just a lot of great stuff in there. And, and he talks about work, and he actually refers to work as toil, which is pretty honest. You know, it is that a lot, right? And listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 2. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat, drink, and find, and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Solomon says, 
Not that there is all sorts of enjoyment in your toil. Not that in the work, it's just naturally so fun and interesting and it's just going to be great. And if you would just find the right job, it would be perfect and everything's going to work out. No, he goes, in the job that you have, find enjoyment in the toil. There's a, there's a cognitive, like, reframing thing going on there. It is possible that in whatever job, um, you, can, you can find something there. You can, you can view it as a way to serve God and serve others. You don't have to become a, a minister or, you know, do this, go into the social work field because that's where I'm really going to make You don't have to do that. Maybe that God's calling you to do that, and by all means, go for it. But it's possible for you to find enjoyment, for you to find some, some fulfillment, not, not everything, but some fulfillment in the work that, that you do. So number one, uh, get your mindset right about, about your work. And number two is this, just pray a, a simple reminder um, about your work. Justin Early was here last week, and I really wanted you to hear him because what he talked about, especially in the last 10 minutes of his message, um, really sets up this entire series. What does it look like to, to, to live as people, to love God and love our neighbor and live differently than a culture around us? And he gave something called the common rule. He talked a little bit about it. We are going to, to do that during Advent this year in December as, as a church of like, what are ways we can, we can walk through the Christmas season differently? And so in a lot of ways, this entire series unpacks a lot of things Justin said in a, in a very quick way last week. Um, and so this would be work, you know, and I actually talked to him all about this sermon before, before I came up here. But um, we're, going to, we're going to jump into that. And one of the things he talked about was praying, make it a part of your rhythm of your day. Pray when you get up in the morning, pray before you go to bed, and then in the middle of your work day, pray. So what would it look like if you prayed a prayer at work about work? Just quickly, just at lunch, I have a prayer for you. This comes from John Calvin originally in the Reformation hundreds of years ago, but it's adapted by Tim Keller. And I really like this prayer. What would it look like to pray this prayer at, at work, at your desk or whatever tomorrow? Look, at it. it says this. My good God, Father and Savior, grant me aid by your Holy Spirit to now work fruitfully in my vocation, which is from you, all in order to love you and the people around me rather than for my own gain and glory. Give me wisdom, judgment, and prudence and freedom from my besetting sins. Bring me under the rule of true humility. Let me accept with patience whatever amount of fruitfulness or difficulty in my work that you give me this day. And in all I do, help me to rest always in my Lord Jesus Christ and in his grace alone for my salvation and life. Hear me, merciful Father, by our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, we're going to post that for you online later so you can grab it and you can print it out if you want um, and you can put it at your desk or whatever. But... Here's the thing about that. What if you prayed that prayer tomorrow? If you prayed that prayer at lunchtime, it won't take you long. It took me a minute or less to read that, right? Um, It's probably not going to change much if you pray that tomorrow and that's it. Just like if you went to the gym one time, it doesn't change much, right? But what if you prayed that prayer every day this week or every day in the month of November or every day from now till the end of the year? What do you think might change in your life from just consistently praying that prayer about your work? Now, I realize there's language in that prayer that you wouldn't use. How many of us really normally say, give me wisdom, judgment, and prudence, and freedom from my besetting sins? You don't talk that way. But here's the thing. Maybe it would be good for you to pray that way. I know you don't talk that way, but maybe just by consistently praying that, you start going, oh, what are my besetting sins? Maybe there are things that are like holding me back. 
Um, the, the line in there, rest uh, and all I do, help me to rest always in my Lord Jesus Christ and in his grace alone for my salvation and life. In other words, help me to not make an idol out of this job. Help me to remember that it's by God's grace that I'm saved and my, and my identity is formed there. What would it look like even in the belly of the beast, even at work, to pray that prayer consistently? I think it would start to shape, change you and shape you and form you, form your thoughts, form your heart, and help you start to view your job differently. Um, so t- take that challenge to, to pray um, and, and acknowledge him in your job. Do your best at work because you're working for the Lord, not, not for men. Do your best, man. Get after it. I, 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 want you to, I want you to work hard and do it well, and I want you to, I talked to someone after first service, they just like won this award for like mid-Atlantic sales and stuff like that. I'm like, that is awesome. Like, go get it, right? Do your best. But keep a healthy perspective because it's not everything. Um, it's important and we need to work with God and to, to serve others through our job. But it's not everything, right? Um, and so let's, let's not make it that. Let's pray. God, I pray that, um, that uh, the people in here uh, who have jobs work hard and they are well rewarded for their work. Um, and that we all, um, we all fight the temptation to make job accolades or success, uh, we fight the temptation to make that everything, but that we humbly look at our work as a way to serve you and serve others. God, for those who are looking for work right now, I pray that uh, the right situations come up for them, that they get connected in, and that they um, are able to serve and uh, plug in, and, and so not just so they can, you know, pay all their bills, which is also a great thing, but so that they, they too can be generous to others. Um, Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.